Okay, we're learning Daf Kuf Chaf Base, and we're starting from Kuf Chaf Aleph on the base, three lines up in the bottom. What are we talking about? So we've discussed how we have different leniencies to allow a woman to get remarried, even if we don't have the, the greatest evidence, we the greatest testimony that the husband passed away, we'll still rely on certain weak testimonies to allow her. And the mission discussed, you know, we believe one witness, we believe the woman, and then yesterday we kind of expanded it a little bit. We said you can even have secondhand testimony, right? Somebody heard that somebody heard. Like, you know, it's like you hear it from someone else who heard from someone else. That's also okay. Rumors, we have such ideas that they can, they can spread and allow uh, the woman to get remarried. So one of the people that we spoke about is a guy. What about if a guy says that the, uh, the husband passed away? Can the woman remarry based upon the testimony of a non-Jew? So the Gemara told us, that it basically depends if he knows that he's testifying. If he's speaking casually in conversation and he happens to mention just by way of conversation that the, person, that, the, the, that the husband died, then you definitely can believe the guy. And the reason is because it's casual. He, has no, he clearly is not coming to lie. He's not coming in a formal way to make testimony. So you could just believe him. But if he's coming up to the court and he starts testifying, he starts telling us, you know, I'm telling you X, Y, and Z. So there we saw it's not so simple. If he said, I want the woman to get remarried, we certainly do not believe him. We think he may have been hired by a bad person to lie about it and mess the woman up. And even if he didn't necessarily say, let the woman get remarried, but he just came to the court and said, I am testifying, the husband died already. There were some opinions that said it's no good. But one thing that everybody agrees is good is when he's mesiach lefitumo, when casually it's mentioned by conversation that the husband was dead, then we can even trust the non-Jew. So the Gemara tells us, there was once a guy who said to the Jew, ketol asbasta, cut some asbasta. So what's asbasta? Asbasta is grain. Grain that's in the middle of growing. So cut some grain from the ground, and this is Shabbos, and feed it to my animals, Bishabsa, even though it was Shabbos. So the guy is basically challenging a Jew to be Machal Shabbos for him on his behalf. Right? What malach is that? That's Kotzer. You're not allowed to harvest, cut things from, their, from the way that they're growing on Shabbos. And he says to him, he threatens him, if you don't do it, I'm going to kill you the same way I killed so-and-so, the other Jew. That what was this so and so that I killed? The story was that I'm really I once told him, cook for me on Shabbos. He refused to cook. But let's say, I killed him. So casually, it seems that he's mentioning that he had killed another Jew. So the question is could this Jew, who probably cut the Aspasa to save his life, which is the halacha and what he should do, but uh, can he go now and come to the court and be like, by the way, I heard from a guy that this so and so that we don't know what happened to him, he's dead. Because the guy told me he killed him because he didn't cook for him on Shabbos. So what happened? Shama de Bisu. What actually happens is that the first man's wife heard uh, what the guy had said. And uh, she came in front of Abaye. And her question was, hey, now that I've overheard this conversation, am I allowed to get remarried? So Pashas, he would say 100%, right? It, wasn't, it was casually mentioned in a conversation. It wasn't in the court. So she thought uh, that she was allowed to get remarried. However, Abaye delayed. Meaning he didn't give... He didn't give an answer right away. How long did he delay, says the Gemara? Tlasi uh, Riglet. He delayed it for three uh, regalim. And the reason is because all the people used to come on the regalim, a lot of times the would get together. So if you ever you want to like really look into a matter halachically, then you can speak it over on the regal when there's a lot of Torah scholars around. So delaying selling for three regalim means he's really investigating the halacha properly and see what other, what other people say. Lamaisa, he didn't give her psak. So then finally, go and ask Rav Yosef the question. The Har of Sakina. Rav Yosef is a very, very sharp knife. A sharp knife, you know, 
kind of like they, there's an expression like that, right? Like the sharpest knife in the drawer, the smartest guy. So he's a sharp knife. Like that means he's very good. He's going to be able to know. So I was like, she went in front of Yosef. Pashim Masni saw he was offered from the bride. So it says in the bride, let's say a guy is selling his fruit in the marketplace and he's selling it to a Jew and he, make all, he makes all sorts of claims about what the, what the fruits are. He says, these fruits are Arla. He said it came from a tree that was, you know, grown its first three years of, of growth. Now, Arla, if it is Arla, then you're not allowed to even have any benefit. Forget about eating it. You're not allowed to have any benefit from it. Or he makes another claim, they are Azika. So there are different shots and we showing him what he is saying. One shot, which is, by the way, super relevant in Halacha, is that maybe it's a place in Israel and he's selling the produce outside of Israel and he's coming to say, by the way, Jews, you should come and run to buy this because this is fruits from Israel. Now, wherever you go to, you know, Fairway and you see brought, imported from Israel, you run the other way because you don't know Trumos, Maizos, Shemitah, all the things that could go wrong. It's the last thing you want to get. But the Goyim don't know that. They think, oh, of course, the Jews are going to want the produce from Israel. So that's like Mamish, what many Rishonim learn is what going, that's what Azika means. All the Rishonim learn Azika that it means it was from guarded things. You're not allowed to guard the field. You have to leave it ownerless. Anyone can come in and take it. If you do guard your, your, your field, does the produce become forbidden to eat? So some Rishonim hold yes. Many Rishonim hold no. But a lot of Rishonim hold yes. The fruit becomes forbidden to eat. And they learn that's what Azika means. It means it was from a guarded field. So he's making a claim that these fruits are from Israel or from a guarded place. And not the Ravai. They're from the Ravai plants. That's the fourth year of the growth. It's meant to be in only line. So in all these cases, look what the Mishnah says. Lo amar klum. He has said nothing. Meaning you, the buyer, the consumer here, he doesn't have to be chayshish at all that the guy is telling you the truth. He can completely disregard the statement and assume the fruits are from the majority of the fruits of the world which are not forbidden to eat. Despite the fact that the vendor in front of him says, this is Arla, this is Israel stuff. He doesn't have it. He completely disregards it. How can we disregard what a guy tells you? Why? At least l'chumra, you should be chayshish. It's the truth. The Torah says, He's only trying to... Um, to, to boast about his goods. And the idea is that he thinks, as his seller, that obviously falsely, but he thinks that if he's going to say this, the Jews are going to want to buy more. If he says it's from Israel, if he says it's from the Arla, Jews are going to be incentivized to buy it. And the Maisa, the truth is the opposite. It sends us in the other direction. And the Chiddush here is that I can be so positive. I can assume that he's lying to me to the extent it's such a baseless statement that even though he said it's forbidden, according to him, he's a guy, I completely disregard, no trust whatsoever, and I buy it and assume it's from the majority of multiple things. Incredible sock. Okay, because I'm here going lenient against what the guy is telling me. So what's the assay? What, what do I see from here? And this is how we're going to relate it to over here. Is that it, that's not called Mesiach Lefitumo. That's not casual. Why is that not casual? Why don't, I, why, why don't I trust the guy over there? Because he has an ulterior motive to say what he's saying. He has a reason to say what he's saying because he's trying to boast and say, look, this stuff is so good. Buy from me. You know, those guys, those vendors in my, the shuk, they'll say anything to get you to buy, right? So that's the point. The guy's in a context, in the frame of mind here, of him trying to lie about something. That's not casually mentioning something in the conversation. There, he's saying it in a context when he's probably lying. So therefore, you don't believe him. So to hear, the guy is trying to threaten me to do malacha on Shabbos. He says, if you don't do it, I will kill you like I killed so-and-so your friend. In that context, that's casually mentioning that, he, that so-and-so is dead. No, that's not casually mentioning that so-and-so is dead. He's incentivized to lie because he's trying to threaten and intimidate me to go cut the grain on Chavez. So he says, if you don't do it, I'll kill you like I killed so-and-so. That doesn't give any credibility. It's a baseless statement completely for us now to think that so-and-so is dead. That's the site of the Gemara. That's why we have to be machmer. So the wife was also to remarry. So we're realizing now that 
even in conversation, there's different ways things come up in conversation. If it comes up, taka in a casual thing, you have no reason to say it, and just he mentioned it, then you would believe him. But if he's incentivized to say it, to get something that he wants, so then you're not going to believe him. All right, says the Gemara here, we get some stories. There was once a story, a Jew and a guy, they were traveling on the road. And the guy came to Amar and he said, Chaval, right? Chaval, we say in Israel today, means like, uh, it's a waste, right? Like a pity. It's a pity on that Jew. He was with me on the road and he died and I buried him. So that's a casual mentioning of something. No reason for him to even bring that up. So that was from Mater, the wife to remarry. There was another story. There was a group of people, they were going to Antochia. Seems like this is somewhere in the north of Israel. The guy came and he said, The pity on the group of people. He says there was a whole group who was traveling to Antioch and they died in Iber. That makes it interesting. The rabbis were mater, all their wives were remarried. Another story, there was a story with 60 people traveling to the Karkom of Betar. So this seems like, I mean, Betar was the siege of Betar. I don't know exactly if this was the Roman times or not, but when the, the revolution of Betar was going on, but they were traveling there in Betar. The guy says, pity on these 60 people. They're walking on the road. And what happened? They died of Kvartim, and I buried them. In all these cases, this is just saying, the rabbis were mater, their wives, to remarry. So basically, we're, we're, we're saying that, um, that this is called, uh, called Mesiyach Lefituma. Why do we have three examples? So the Archonim say, because the second case is a bigger chiddush, because it was a group of people. The first case was a single person, the second group was a group of people. And the third one is that here, he's talking about going to the, a, a dangerous place. He's talking about Betar siege. So maybe you could say that he's only assuming that they died. Remember, we had that thing, like if a woman says, my husband died in war, we don't believe her because she probably assessed that they died without actually seeing that he died. So maybe here too, you could say like, if they was going into this dangerous zone of the siege of Betar, maybe he didn't actually see them die. And therefore, even if it's Mesiyach Lefitumo casually mentioning it, maybe you shouldn't believe him. And the Gemara is saying that nonetheless you do. All right, here we continue pushing. To what extent were the rabbis lenient to allow a woman to get remarried? Says the Mishnah, they can be, the testimony can come based upon what people see by the light of a lamp or by the light of the moon. Meaning, the Mishnah is saying is how clearly do you have to see a person, right? I see that there was a murder scene, right? And I see something like that. And I, I think I, it's, it's what I could see. It was dark, but to what I could see by the light of the lamp or the light of the moon, it appears that the victim was so-and-so. Is that good enough or do you have to see with clearer light? And the Mishnah is saying that that is good enough. This is a tremendous novelty. A woman to remarry, if there was a baskel, there was a voice that was heard saying the husband died. So let's go through it. What does a baskel normally mean? A baskel normally means that it's a heaven-sent voice. And the Gemara already talks about how after Nebuah was taken away, let's say during the times of the second base of Mikdash, there was no Nebuah. But they, there was tremendous uh, baskel. Baskel was like the new, the, new, the new mode of use to figure out what God wanted. And there were heavenly voices. But with time, that dissipated as well. Like today, we don't, we don't hear so many Baskals, right? I mean, if we're not on that level, the Gemara, the Mishnah Perkeva says every single day a Baskal emanates from Har Sinai, right? And it says like, we wish that more people would be learning. Like, Baskals are in a way like meant to be there all the time, but like you have to be tuned in to that, uh, to that station. You know, if you're, not on that, if you're not on that frequency, you're not gonna hear the Baskal. So what does the Mishnah mean here when it says there's a Baskal? Is it Takapshat, a heavenly voice, and that's what's coming out, and, and you're assuming it's true? And that raises all sort of, sorts of theological questions because we have Gemaras where Baskals came out and said the halacha is like so-and-so, right? And, and in the base measure state, there were many opinions that said, who cares what a Baskal says? The Torah is not in heaven. Torah is here. 
But if we think that Allah is like this, then Torah Lobash Amayim, the Pasuk says, Torah is not in heaven. We don't uh, pay, pay, pay any, any respect to what the Baskal says. So, what does it mean that you remarry a woman by the sound of a Baskal? So, the Bishu, many Rishonim say here that it doesn't mean a real Baskal. It's not that you're thinking it's a heavenly voice. That's not what it is. It's not that the, it's a voice of God telling you. It means that it's a voice where you don't hear the person, you just hear a voice. You don't know who's talking. You hear a voice. And the voice says, you know, I saw, I saw so and so die. And the person that you know, you're trying to let the wife remarry. So the chiddush is that you let her get remarried even though you don't have an actual person that's, that you know of saying those words. You're just hearing the, the sounds of his voice. You don't know who it is. The Mishnah says, there was a story with a person, I was on top of the mountain, he said, so-and-so from such and such places died. They went to the top of the mountain, they didn't find anyone to be Sio The Rabbana was still matter, the wife to get remarried, right? So this is illustrating that you can get married from a Baskal. There's another story in Someone said, I so and so, so and so have been bitten by a snake and I am dying. So it's actually the person, interesting. It's the person himself testifying that he's in a state of death, right? He's about, he says, Look, I just got bitten by this poisonous snake. I am dying. They went there, they saw a corpse. By the time that they got there, there was no recognition. They weren't able to, uh, to do that. And the reason is this is important, not because it looked like somebody else, but the snake bite had messed up his face so bad they couldn't recognize him. That's the point. But they had heard the voice and the voice gave an ID to himself, right? He, he, he disclosed who he was. He says, I'm so-and-so who's dying. So the Rabbana went and they were Matar's wife to remarry, again, based upon just the voice itself. So now the Gemara gets into it a little bit more. I'm a rabbi Rishmol Tanah. It says in a price that actually what we learned in the Mishnah is a dispute. Bishamay Omri and Bishamay says in this inalpi basko. We don't permit a woman to, a woman to remarry on the basko. Basil Omri is inalpi basko. Says the Gemara, my Kamashmolon. What's the chiddush? I guess that it's Basil who's the one that says you can listen to a basko. My thinking is the Mishnah, meaning to say like. Normally, whenever Basil says something against Bishamai, obviously we call it Basil. And in our Mishnah, the point that Basil was saying was the stam point of the Mishnah, that you believe a Baskal. So what do I need to learn about that, oh, Bishamai's view was differently? That, that, that's inconsequential in the halacha. You always pass on Basil, you always go with the stam Mishnah here. So obviously they're in sync. What's the novelty? So the Gemara says, HaKamash Malad, the reason why it's important to know is the image kachas tamavimasi. And let's say you would discover another brisa, another statement from Atana that says you don't allow women to remarry based upon a baskel, and you're going to get bent out of shape because here we learned otherwise. So you should know. Don't get nervous. Beishamai, that other brisa could be going like the lone minority view of Beishamai, and it will be disregarded. And that's gufa why it's important to learn that there is another opinion. Sometimes if you don't even know that there is, if you're ignorant not to know there are other opinions, then when you see it coming up, you might get nervous that it contradicts things that you previously learned. So that's why it's important to know that there's actually a dispute about it. All right. So now the Gemara analyzes the story. Someone is on the mountaintop and he said so-and-so was dying. They went to the top of the mountain. They didn't find anyone. And the rabbis were still mounted to the wife. So the Gemara has a kasha, the Dilma shade. How can you rely on the Bosco and the voice that, 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 that we couldn't find the person? Maybe it was a demon. It's a fascinating question. You know, again, we don't have that so much today, living with the shadim. But the shadim are real, right? The shadim are, the shadim are somewhat. What's the English definition of shadim? I guess demon. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a word, but I, I don't know the connotations of it. You know what we mean with it today. But like the Gemara talks about it, how they, they're, they're, their form is similar to human beings, but they're also somewhat like angels. It's interesting. Hold, hold to do about what exactly they do. But basically, our question now is: is that if you hear a voice and you go and you investigate and, you, and you, no one's there, so then maybe it was a shade. And if it's a shade, then obviously you can't, you can't trust. And why is it obvious that you can't trust the shade? That's an interesting point. Why is the Gemara you know, so confident you can't trust the shade? It would seem the idea is shade are bad. Shade are bad. They're meant to do bad things. So you would completely always disregard what a shade said. So if you stop and hear a voice and then Zehu, fine. 
I can trust the voice. But if I go investigate and I see there's no person there, so what is what happened? Like, probably it was a shade. I mean, you're right. It might be a human said something and he ran away the next second and you only heard his voice. It's possible. But it's also really possible that it was just a demon. And that's why when you go there, there's no, there's no, there's no human body. So how do you know to trust it? So the Mara is, the Mar is not, 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 not okay with this idea that we're just trusting voices when we investigate and we see no one there. So the Gemara says, when, the, the, when you, you saw like the, the form, you saw the, the, the form of a human body. You didn't see who it was and you couldn't see clearly, but you saw there was a human being at the top. So the Gemara says, that's, that's ridiculous because demons look in their form like humans. So that doesn't prove anything. So the Gemara says, they saw a shadow. So demons don't have shadows, the Gemara is saying. Uh, so if it would cast a shadow, it must have been a human being. So we don't know it's not true. The demons do have shadows. So they saw that there was a shadow of a shadow. Evidently, when the sun's low, Rashi says, there's like a dark, there's two shadows. There's a darker shadow closer to the body and then a, a lighter one that's farther away. So the, the demons don't have that, that one. The demons only have the darker shadow. They don't have the, the, lighter, the lighter shadow that is there. A lot, of, a lot of tifkite with shadows. One saw such an idea from the morale about a shadow. A shadow is, represents Hashem Tzilcha. The Pasuk says, Hashem, a shadow is protection. Tzel is like shelter, right? Like shade. Uh, no plan of words there. Okay, plan of words, shade. But shade is protection. Hashem Tzilcha Yadiminacha. But it also means to shadow. And that's what it means. You're shadowing a person. You're protecting them. So the concept of a person's shadow is that every single thing that they're, they're, they're happening in life, there's this there's, there's this greater protection and a shadow that's behind them and that's always represents HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and it also represents that like everything you're doing right has meaning like it's not just me and my body but there's a shadow there's other things happening so the shadow of a shadow means what you directly do we understand there's something there the shadow of the shadow means even beyond what you think is happening there's always something else happening as well it's like everyone can get the shadow but the shadow from the shadow that was what's harder to have so that's a human thing. Al-Khalish Baruch Hu has it. The, she- the demons don't have that. The shadow of the shadow. And that's what the Gemara is saying. If, it, if you did see both, so then you could be pretty confident it was a person and that's what you don't have to be concerned. Frak the Gemara, how do we know this is true? Where do we get these signs from that the demons don't have the shadow? The shadow, Amr Khanina, Amr Yonas and Shita, because Yonas and the demon once said it to me. Evidently this was, uh, this was uh, Rashi says it wasn't, it wasn't that he was a demon, but he knew all the, he was an expert in the field of demons. And he, gave, and he was called the owners and the demon. He told me, that they don't have the shadow of the shadow. Maybe it was a co-wife. So the Gemara is saying, you're right, we know it was a human being. But how do you know it's a human being that we would trust? We learned that even though we believe pretty much anyone to say that a, that a husband died so the wife can get remarried, if the statement was said by someone who dislikes or has animosity towards the wife, then we're choshesh that they might be lying. What's an example of that? A co-wife. A co-wife, she's a rival. A rival might go bring down her, 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 other, her, her co-wife by saying what? By lying that the husband died and watching her get remarried and laughing at her when the husband comes back and her life gets messed up. So how do we know if we don't see who is saying the words, even if we're not choshish, it was a demon, why don't we have to be concerned that it was a co-wife? So the Gemara says, Tana deri bishmal, since it's a time of danger, you can write a get to a wife based on instructions of a man who says he is the husband, even if you don't identify. Meaning, let's say it's a dangerous time, and the husband's fleeing, and it's dangerous. And he says, we don't know who he was, but he says, I'm so-and-so, and my wife is so-and-so in the town. I'm instructing you to go write a get. And then he runs away. Do we go right again? Or do we say maybe it's somebody else who's just trying to hurt her and it's really not the husband? We don't know. We didn't recognize it. So we say if it's a dangerous times, we have to be lenient and we have to assume that people are, people are, are, are not trying, trying to hurt. So 
what the Gemara is saying is that we extend that concept here as well to Iguna, to allow a wife to remarry. You're right. Is it possible that it's a tzara? It's possible. And if a tzara herself would show up and testify that the husband died, we wouldn't allow a wife to remarry. But here that we have this unidentified voice and we don't know who it is, we, we, we don't have to be choshesh at it's a tzara. We're going to assume it's a person that we could trust and we're going to allow the wife to get married. Because again, the system here is built in Iguna super leniently. All right. So basically, it's been assumed for a long time that a single witness is believed to say that a husband died so that the wife can get remarried. But now the Mishnah tells us that the truth is that, that there's background and it wasn't always so accepted that that was the halach. Remember, it's a tremendous novelty that the Rabbana were making. So the Gemara tells us, says the Mishnah, I went to Nardot to establish the leap year. Right? They used to, didn't used to have a set calendar. It used to be even in the times after the base of Mekdash, when the Tanam here, Rabbi Akiva, was living, they would go determine based upon the seasons and where the sun was holding whether or not there needed to be a leap month. So when I went to make these calculations in Ardan, basically, I found someone in Nechemia, basically, Amarli said to me, and this is the key, Rabbi Akiva's from Israel, but now he's out of Israel. So this person said to him, I heard that the rabbis in Ardan aren't matter women to remarry from one witness. Ella, Rabbi Ben Baba, the only one who's makele to allow it is Rabbi Ben Baba. So, I said to him, you're right, that statement is correct, that the, the, all the other Rabbanon are not, are not lenient. So, Amarli, Nechemia said to me, Amarli, Amishmi, Go tell those rabbis in Israel. You know that the country is, is a lot of war and there's a lot of tumultuous times. Remember, the Romans all controlled Israel. So I'm nervous to go in Israel and, and go and tell them myself. But I'm sending a message back with you. What am I saying? That I have a direct tradition from Gamliel the Elder. From Gamliel who lived before them, that uh, we are a mother woman to remarry based upon a single witness. Rikiva continues, So I came back to Eretz Yisrael, and, um, and I brought these words, this tradition of Gamliel Azakin, in front of Rabbi Gamliel. Now just to clarify, Rabbi Gamliel, who was alive now in the time of Israel, is a grandson of Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin. Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin lived pre the destruction of the temple, and Rabbi Gamliel of Yavne, the Rebbe of Rabbi Akiva, is his grandson. So just don't get confused about that. He's reporting a tradition from Rabbi Gamliel Hazakin over to Rabbi Gamliel. He's telling the grandson what he had heard reported from his uh, grandfather. She says, I heard, you seeing uh, so, and what happened? He got very happy in my words, and he said, "We have found another, like a colleague. We found another opinion that holds like Rabbi Ben Baba." And what happened was, because from the discussion, one thing led to another, and something triggered a memory in Rabbi Gamliel's mind. Once happened that men had been killed in a place Tel Arza, and they never allowed the wives to remarry because there was only a single witness that testified about it. But then he remembered that Rabbi Gamliel, um, now, now, now that he just had this new tradition, so now what happened? Rabbi Gamliel, now the grandson, was willing to act, and he was mater all their wives to get remarried. And now what happened based upon that? Now the matter became established. Once Rabbi Gamliel, the Rashiva, Yavna was doing it, so then everything in Israel switched. All because of that one man who met Rabbi Akiva outside of Israel and told him to send it back to Rabbi Gamliel, this message, everything switched. Because everything switched, now it became hochzak that this is the halacha we remarried from a single witness. And then they established further, even if it's one witness quoting another, maybe Abed from a slave, Pisha from a woman, Pishivcha from a, from a Canaanite maidservant, all of these things, we would still believe. They disagree. The other tell me to me, this is all in the times of Yavna. They say, no, we're not Matar women to remarry based upon one. So uh, uh, it seems that this may have been said before 
In other words, obviously, once the, the halacha changed, Rabbi Gamliel was saying it, they probably got on board, but probably the, their statement here is quoted from before. And Rabbi Akiva as well, because Rabbi Akiva says, we don't believe woman, we believe So what's going on? It sounds like, it sounds like Rabbi Akiva is like caught because he's saying we don't believe a slave, a woman, or a maidservant, but it sounds like we do believe a single male witness. So when did Rabbi Akiva say that? Before he went to Nardal, he didn't think a single witness was believed. Afterwards, he was. So it seems like this is after the story, but then it, like the tradition and the way it came established and how, how lenient we'd go, it kept on going further and further. At the time Rabbi Akiva made this statement, there was not from a woman, but eventually, again, the halacha is... It did. So first, the Gemara is a kasha here. Rabbi Kiva's own statement is contradictory. So Rabbi Kiva does Rabbi Kiva really hold that we're not mater the wife to remarry based upon the testimony of one woman? It says in a bride, so Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says in the name of Rabbi Kiva, a woman is trusted to bring her own get using a kavachomer. Meaning, when when you bring a get from from overseas. So the halacha is we're nervous that the get might not be necessarily good. So whenever an agent comes from the get overseas, he has to testify that the document was written and signed in front of him. Rabbi Kiva says that even if here the person who's bringing the get is the wife herself, she's believed to testify that it was written good, and we don't suspect that she might forge the get and is lying just to get just to get out of her husband. So, and he said as follows: How do I know a woman's believe? If even though the women, there are five women, the rabbis don't trust to testify that the husband died. Who are those five women? Remember, we learned about that: the mother-in-law, the sister-in-law, the co-wife, stepdaughter. Nonetheless, they're trusted to bring the bills of divorce when they bring a get. Even though these are people who dislike the wife, but they're still never to bring it. So you see, there's you need less to trust somebody bringing a get than to testify about the death of a husband. So then Zushan this one, the wife herself, who's trusted to say that her husband died. So certainly she's trusted to bring her own divorce. So what do I see here? So Rabbi Akiva is saying, Rabbi Akiva seems to be saying that, that there's only the five women who aren't believed about the death of a husband. The implication is Ishima a regular woman would be believed. So we have a question. Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah seems to be saying that even when we believe a single witness, we don't believe a woman. But here in the Braisa, Rabbi Akiva seems to be saying only the five women we don't believe. It sounds like a regular woman we would believe. So what is Rabbi Akiva's position? So the Gemara answer is pretty much what we were referring to, Lokasha. In the Mishnah that was recording with Rabbi before they had established that will matter from a woman, so it was just different stages in how and what was established in the halacha and how far that it went. So originally Rabbi Akiva was saying the woman wasn't believed, but eventually he did. So actually everything happened in stages. Originally they weren't matter anything al piyadacha. Then even they were matter aidacha, they weren't matter for a woman. Eventually the halacha began further and, uh, and they believed uh, even, even a woman as well. Says the, now, okay, now we get back into this whole thing, how it came to be, uh, what, this dispute, whether or not we believe a woman. So Amr Lola said to Rabbi Akiva, Levi, wasn't there a story with the people of Levi? They went to Tzoar, the city of the date trees. One of them got really sick during the journey, they brought him to like an inn so that he could rest. When they returned from Tzoar, they said to the, the woman, innkeeper, it was a woman, and they said to her, where is our friend that we left here? And she, she said to them, he died and I buried him. So they have a testimony from a woman that the husband died. What happened? Because he was issued based on the testimony of the rabbis were matter his wife. So they say, shouldn't a kohanis be at least as trusted as a woman innkeeper? So in other words, why we should believe the testimony of a kohanis with such yichos or really any other Jewish woman should at least be as much as the, as, as, as the woman innkeeper. So we're going to have to see, like, what, what do we mean with this? Why is an innkeeper less trustworthy? 
trustworthy than another woman. But we're saying here, if, the, if we would even believe a woman innkeeper, certainly we should believe women with high yichas. So what do, we, what do we see? We see from here a woman is believed. If the testimony would be as good as the testimony of that innkeeper, she would be believed. Um, and what, what, what does that mean? In that, right, the Pundakis didn't just say the husband died, that this guy died. She did more. She brought out his staff, Tarmilo, his pouch, a Sefer Torah and the Sefer Torah was in his possessions. So if there were circumstances where she's bringing all, all these Simonim, then already that, that, makes us, that makes us pretty confident that she's telling the truth. In other words, they're just saying testimony and then they're saying testimony, backing it up and bringing out the guy's private stuff. So, so, so we keep saying there's not, there's not really such a good proof from there. The innkeeper had all these other simonim, and that's why you were lying. Okay, so that was the dispute between Rabbi Akiva and the Rabbanon whether or not we believe a woman. So now the Gemara tries to understand the statement that Rabbi Akiva made, that, if, that the Rabbanon made, that if you even believe the woman innkeeper, certainly you would believe, believe a Kohanis. So the Gemara says, my grievous is the punkis. Like, what's bad about the innkeeper? What's weak about her? So the Gemara says, She wasn't even Jewish. That's why. She was speaking out of just a casual conversation. She says, So the point is, that if even what a guy is saying, we believe, so then all the more so, when a, when a Jewish woman is testifying, you should believe. And again, that's where Rabbi Kiva was defending that there's not a proof because it wasn't really her testimony they were relying on. They were relying on the simanim of what she brought out. That the woman innkeeper was a guy. She was casually mentioning it. This is the staff, the pouch, and this is the grave I buried in. Says the Gemara, how could you say that it was Messiah? The Levim said to her, Where is our friend? So, what's the Gemara's question? The Gemara's question is like this We only believe a guy when there's no pressure on him. He casually mentions that the guy, that the Yid is dead. But here, this is not casually mentioning it. They confronted her. They said, Where is our friend? Oh, you're challenging them, and then she has to give a response and dialogue. That's not casually mentioning something. Casually mentioning the power of Mesiyach Lefitumo is that the guy didn't have any real reason, incentive, or anything to say it. And he just mentioned it. There you believe. But here you don't have that. Here they, they, she was confronted. So the Gemara says, no, the Chazinu Bachya, as soon as she saw them, she was already crying. She was already crying. In other words, she showed that she was crying because she saw them, and she was sad about the fact that the, that the guy had died. Then they said, where's our friend? And then she said, he died and I buried him. But since she had started crying before that she was even asked a question, that's why then when she responds, we're able to trust it and consider it. All right. So now, there's a general concept called that when someone gives testimony, you have to cross-examine and question the details of it. You don't just believe it. Without, without questioning it. So we try to figure out if we do that here for Eidah uh, So Someone once came to testify for Tarfan about a woman that her husband died. Amalur Tarfan said, How do you know the husband died? Amar, he said, We're traveling on the road. And there was a troop of soldiers chasing. He grabbed onto an olive branch, he broke it off the tree. He fought off the whole army. With that one olive branch. Amarti Lo, afterwards I said to him, Arye, you're a lion. Yishar Kochacha, right? Yashar Koach. What, what strength did you show? Amarli, he said, How'd you know that my name is Lion? That's actually what they call me in my hometown. They call me Yochanan, Rabbi Yochanan, Arye, Yimufar Shachya. Yochanan, the son of Rabbi Yonason, Lion from the village of Shachya. The Yamim, a few days later, Chala, this is all the witness talking. This guy got sick, Umes, and he died. So now he's testifying that this guy with the name Yochanan, son of Yochanan, lion from the village of Shechia, that he died. His history of Tafran Sishto. Rabbi Tafran went and he ruled that the lion's wife was mutter. 
So it sounds like over here that Reb Tarfan didn't really cross-examine, no deep challenges, he just accepted the testimony. So Reb Tarfan doesn't require cross-examination. Vatanya says in a brisa, there's once a story, someone came in front of Reb Tarfan to give testimony for the woman, that the husband died. On my Lord, Reb Tarfan said, how do you know? On my Lord, he said to Reb Tarfan, I was traveling on the road. He grabbed the a fig tree, broke it off. That's the guy's and he he forced the troop to retreat. Afterwards, I said to him, "You're lying. Your strength should be affirmed." You had you you were able that you intended for what my name actually is. Is what they call me in the city. The witness finishes off. After a time, he got he got sick and he died. And after the witness finished testifying, and this bride said, says. Reb Tarfan responded, Didn't you say to me that this was Yochanan, the son of Yonason, the village of Shechiel Lion? So he was cross-examining to see, like, if you would change. He said, didn't you tell me that his name was, that the village's name was Lion, not that the person's name was Lion. He, like, baits him. He's, like, trying to get him to admit that he lied. So the witness said, no, 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 no. This is what, really what I said. His name was the lion from the village of Shacha. Tarfan examined him two or three more times in this matter. He says, wait, didn't you say this? Oh, wait, didn't you say that? Eventually, Kivan Estevarov, it was everything was consistent, and only after it was clear everything was consistent, then his Then Rebbe Tarfan allowed his wife to remarry. So we have a contradiction. In one case, one story, Rebbe Tarfan is all busy cross-examining. In another one, he's not. So what is the so the Gemara answers Tanoi. The truth is, it's a If there's a need for cross-examination for Edesisha, the Tanya says in a writing book, Kiva says you don't need to do it to allow the woman to remarry. Both Rambam says we do interrogate them. So it's a So we could have once we say that. So the two different brayos quoting, even though they were both quoting Reb Tarfon, they had different views about what Reb Tarfon held. If there's Drisha Vachakira for Edesisha, what's the root of the Shaila? Why yes, why not? Says the Gemara, the Machlokas is based on Rachanina said Rachanina, the Rachanina is Vartor by Torah Lachadin, Mos Vachadin, Fosh, it's both by monetary cases. By like somebody lent somebody money and capital cases. Both of them need cross examination by Torah law. The Torah says there's one law. There's consistent standards of the court. So by Torah law, cross examination is required even by money cases. What's the reason they said that the rabbis uprooted the law and they said, no, monetary cases do not require cross examination? And we want to encourage people. To lend money. If we are going to make it really hard to get your money back because any witnesses that you're going to bring, we're going to cross-examine and drive them nuts until we maybe catch them in an inconsistent detail and throw them out, no one's going to be secure to ever lend money. So we want to encourage the system of money lending. That's good for society. So therefore, we make it easier to get your money back. We don't do Jerusha Bachakira when, when we have a, a, a money case. So now, what do we see? When it's, when it's other cases that aren't money, you do have Jerusha Bachakira. When it's money cases, you don't need Jerusha Bachakira. So here, when you're allowing a woman to remarry, is that money? Money or not? Here, the question is not only if the woman can remarry, but it's also if she can take her ksuba. Because based upon the testimony, she remarries and takes her ksuba. So since it's, she's going to take her ksuba, it should be like dine mamanis. And therefore, you don't, you don't need it. What do you mean? But you're also being matzah Therefore, it's like dine nefashos. And, that, and therefore, you and therefore you would require um Hakira. Obviously, it's very hard to understand the first shot in the Gemara because very good. She takes her ksuba, but she's also getting remarried. I mean, it's a kula that when money is being lent, you don't you don't need Yishev Hakira, but it's more than just money being lent here. So it's hard to understand. But that Al Kapanim 
Um, that here we go, we, we decide that it's considered like a monetary thing that might not need Yishev HaChakira. All right, now we finish off um, something good about Tamid HaChachamim. The Marshal says the reason we finish off is because we just saw how the Chachamim did so much good to be lenient for the Iguna. And that's really like the end of the Mesechta. The whole problem that we learned is like how far to go to help an Iguna. It's like a tremendous thing. And they talk about the rabbis of, like even like the 19th, the 19th century, like the greatest rabbis were the best at being Madri Igunas. It was like a skill. Not only do you have to be a tremendous scholar, but you have to be a very sensitive person. So we finish off that the, 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 the greatness of a Torah scholar is the way he increases peace in the world. It doesn't just have knowledge intellectually, but he uses it to make peace. He was able to allow the Iguna to remarry. All the sons will be disciples of Hashem. There's going to be a lot of peace in your, in, in your sons. And uh, the Gersa is, that is referring to not only to sons, but the people who build the world. And those are a reference to Tamil Kuchamah.